Welcome to Topple Uncaged. I'm Steve Topple and you're locked on to the UK's hottest politics and music podcast. Each week, I bring you the rawest takes on the big stories making the news, always joined by a very special guest. Then, I pleasure your mind, body and soul with the freshest, most banging international music going. This is the conviction Rosa Luxemburg was murdered for This is the tradition 2003 we're searching for No time to molly coddle Too many bodies were sold before This is the feeling that stopped them loading SS Jolly George He died in jail Due to their treatment Sacrificed their lives for the most human reasons Monsters on the conscience So delusions of freedom The refusal to kill A conviction you can't believe in I refuse to kill I refuse to make I refuse to fight No, not in my name My guests, plural on today's podcasts, are two of my fellow flock of Canaries, two of my favourite writers and two of my favourite editors, obviously. Not that I'm biased towards anyone at the Canary, of course. Quick disclaimer there. You may have seen on their social media and through their writing at the Canary that they have been part of one of the most important direct action movements that happens every other year. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, I went there myself in 2017 to witness it firsthand. And they have been on the front line along with two other Canary journalists reporting directly from the heart of East London. Um, and there was, a, there was a bit of an affray with the police as well, just to, just to add into that mix, but we'll talk about that later. Um, this is an extremely extremely important topic which has ramifications geopolitically worldwide um it, it it's quite the subject so we're going to try and sort of drill down into it as best we can i'm very pleased to be able to introduce to the top long cage podcast fabulous editors at the canary the fantastic emily apple and the amazing freya lockley thank you so much guys for coming on i, I will add the disclaimer that you haven't long been back from this um direct action for the past several weeks so you are you are a bit exhausted so thank you so much for coming on to do this pleasure hello hello <laughs> emily's sitting there like i'm trying to stay awake i'm trying to stay awake i'm trying to stay awake <laughs> She's all good. She's going to be great, listeners. Don't worry about it. It's brilliant. Now, as I said, if you've seen their social media and if you've been following the output from the Canary, we are, of course, talking about the Stop the Arms Fair camp action protest that has been going on in the past few weeks. This is all about the DSEI, the Defence and Security Equipment International Arms Fair. It's the world's largest arms fair held biannually in London. Um, How to sum this up? Well, essentially, I suppose, guys, it's a who's who of right rogue corporatists and disaster capitalists, really. You've got everyone there, every defence manufacturer going, Lockheed Martin, Raytheon via BAE Systems. It's supported by the UK government um, via the Department for International Trades, Defence and Security Organisation. And policing, well, in 2017, it just... It cost the Met just under £1 million, and that was only in direct policing costs. Every time there is this arms fair, this is absolutely fantastic movement of people which camps up and does loads of different actions and events and protests throughout the week. It always culminates on Saturday with the festival. As I said, I went there in 2017. It's absolutely fantastic. But Fray and Emily were there along with it. It was Tom and Eliza, wasn't it, um, guys you were with? Is that correct? Yeah. 
Yeah, 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 excellent. So four Canary journalists on the ground, um, non-stop reporting and coverage of this. Okay, Emily, let's start with you. Um, I mean, I was there in 2017, you were there in 2017, um, and we're now in 2019. So how was the the sort of the, the days and days of action compared to 2017? Was it bigger? Was there more people there? Um, was the press presence higher or lower? Overall, how did it compare on previous years, this year's action for you? Um, I think it was quite similar to 2017 in the way there were different days covering different issues. So, for example, on the Monday, there was a day of Palestine action. Um, there was a faith day. Um, and as you said, we had the um, Festival of Resistance that was also supported by the Kurdish community and the Kurdish Freedom Movement and Amrise um, Al-Rajava. And... Throughout the week, people took actions, they did lock-ons, probably slightly smaller numbers than in 2017, I'd say, Um, but still a lot of energy and a lot of good things going on, and the setup, this whole week of actions designed to stop the setup of the arms fair itself. And it was definitely delayed with trucks not being able to get in, and vehicles being mounted by people and sort of stuff like that. I think it's also worth noting this is actually the 20th year of Dicey. Um, and I've been involved in campaigning against it since 1999. So it's been, <laughs> it's been a long old haul. Um, and we've seen fluctuations in protests over the years and differences in tactics over the years. But for the last few dices as you said in in um 2017 i think in 2015 as well it's been focused about around the camp and stopping it happening before it starts but then there were also some actions throughout the week as well with people confronting um arms dealers and disrupting boat displays <laughs> and um who was that uh, then um we'll get on to that later yeah. <laughs> um but there was, there was a really good energy throughout the week and um, I think Freya is going to talk about the policing more generally, but I would say things like uh, in terms of um, monitoring what the police are doing, one thing that was very clear, stop and searches, we're back again, lots of stops and searches for criminal damage, something we haven't seen for many years at Dicey, and especially on the Palestine and the Kurdish days, a lot of institutional racism from the Met, um, as they were the days that were met with a lot more violence. I mean, just quickly, Emily, um, you say it's sort of numbers maybe seem slightly down on this year. Do you think that's an effect of the, the amount of other, for want of a better phrase, shit that's going on in the country, that sort of um, uh, protest organisations, direct action groups are being pulled left, right and centre, and obviously we've had, to, we've had the rise of our, our delightful friends, Extinction Rebellion. Um, <clears throat> um, do you think there's, there's been an effect of that, that, just the fact that things in this country are sort of deteriorating so much that people are being pulled left right and center and it is a case of right what what organization and what direct action do i support i mean or or is there something else at play do you think i think so i mean we had all the stop the coup stuff going on at the same time and i think one of the things that we really really need to do with a lot of these sort of campaigns is a lot more joined up thinking because for me the arms trade and things like dicey are things that encompass everything that we're trying to oppose. So we've got money 
from the government subsidising the arms trade while we've got people dying through austerity. We've got the military that's one of the biggest polluters in the world and we've got a chance to do something about it rather than block dead space in central London and actually take direct action against the things that are actually happening in front of us and we can actually have an impact on. So I think in terms of, I mean, there was a climate day, but I'm not quite sure how well those links were made with the military as a polluter rather than just the impact of the arms trade. Um, and just look at capitalism, neoliberalism, everything that is wrong in the world is linked up into the arms trade. So for me, one of the reasons why I've been involved in this campaign for 20 years is because it encompasses so many different issues. And I think in the past, we've done a lot of work over uniting those issues and really setting out why those issues are interlinked. And I think we need to do more of that work. And I think we need to do more to encourage people to be out on the streets, actually impacting the things that are happening, whether that's at fracking sites, whether it's at places like Dicey, whether it's at HS2. We need to be taking direct action against these things where we can stop them happening rather than action which is basically begging the government to do something. We have this power, we need to be using this power and I think that's the fundamental flaw of a lot of the protest movement at the moment. Yep, nothing wrong with your brain today, Emily Apple. Um, exactly, spot on. As, as Nicola Jeffrey would always say, um, we seem to have forgot how to do join the dots from when we were children, and, and exactly so. I mean, I saw this article um, published by Byline um, a couple of days ago, how um, the disaster capitalist friends of the Leave movement and Boris Johnson ploughed £8.6 into the fact that we leave with, with no deal. Um, and it's these same disaster capitalists who make money from the arms industry. As you say, all these issues are ultimately interlinked and um and i think you're you're quite right we've had enough um people's assemblies um marching through london um at huge cost themselves 20 odd grand um for the privilege of marching to the police um and not actually doing anything so yeah exactly i think the time the time for waving banners in the middle of london when parliament's not even there has well passed so yes agreed direct action has to be the way forward and as you say linking all these issues together one of the issues of course um surrounding the arms fair which is always a pertinent one is the policing and as Emily touched on um, there was some some interesting developments this year not least as you say institutionalised racism against the um, the Kurdish movement and the Palestine Solidarity movement as well um, Freya I mean obviously there was there was some standouts for you as to what had changed then with policing at this year's arm fair just, just, just to answer a direct question actually from me so you say that there was lots of stop and searches going on was there section 60 in place then? No, it was um, all for criminal damage. Right, okay. Excellent. I was, I was just interested as well because obviously living in London, um, we've had section section sixties going off left, right, and centre at the minute, literally for nothing. Obviously, there's one at the Notting Hill Carnival just a few weeks ago, and then um, there's been one in the borough I live in as well. Um, Freya, so policing more heavy-handed, um, more arrests, more um, abusing of powers. Do you think this year what what was what was the policing like? What what were the most sort of nefarious aspects of it this year? As far as we know so far, there were at least 116 arrests. But as well as the arrests, there were... The police presence was intimidating to a lot of people who may just have been there to protest peacefully, who may not have put themselves in the path of, of being arrested. 
One thing I noted in particular was the police response to press. I mean, I was bruised and shoved on several occasions, holding my press card, just trying simply, on, because on some days I was there with a press card, on other days I took the press card off and I wasn't. But both of those incidents that happened to me, total strangers stepped in and photographed them, witnessing me holding up my press card. And, I, you know, I, I left on Monday with bruises from simply trying to report on what was going on. And I saw a lot of that going on around. I think one of the one of the, the harshest ones I saw was when the Kurdish community simply tried to cross the road with a banner. And the response to that was totally disproportionate. You know, it, these were peaceful people from the Kurdish community. There were several brutal, pretty violent scuffles and, and violent arrests during that as well. I know that one woman was holding a baby and the police response was so extreme to her that they, they pushed her while she was carrying a baby in her arms. Um, on the peace day, I witnessed, I saw what the police did. You know, people were just sitting very calmly. Doing, yeah, it was absolutely silent, very, very peaceful. And they were told to move by three o'clock. Had they been allowed to continue for another 15 minutes, their religious service would have been over but the police wouldn't listen to that. It was very much our rules, that's it. And just in terms of the sheer volume of police there, I mean, it was completely disproportionate to any number of protesters that were there. In a moment, you know, the bat of an eyelid, they could mobilise lines of, you know, 50 to 100 police who were all stacked up behind. So we just think about the cost of that, about everything else going on in London, about the fact that, you know, people are constantly saying there aren't enough number of police you know, out on the streets anyway. And yet there they all are trying to prevent mostly peaceful protest and where there were any people taking any form of direct action, a completely disproportionate police response to anything that was taking place. And again, sort of similar question to what I asked Emily. I mean, why do you, why do you think it's been up this year? Because I, I remember being there in 2017 and I, I had my press card round my neck. Um, and while I thought then um, the police presence was still disproportionate, there was a ridiculous amount of police there then um, for the amount of people that were there and the kind of action that was going on. I mean, it was, there was sort of, okay, there was lock on sort of left, right and centre um, and blocking of roads, but it, it, it was completely disproportionate then. Why do you think we've seen this upping of the anti by the Met this year? Is it changing government? Is it due to the fact that there are now, there's been this boom, I suppose, in direct action across the capital because of what's happened with Extinction Rebellion? I mean, what, what's your kind of thoughts on why the police were so more um, aggressive and heavy handed and out in so many more numbers this year? Don't I don't. Either of you can answer. I don't mind. Okay. Um, I would say that. Um, so, policing at Dicey has always been heavy-handed. Going back to '99, policing at Dicey has been heavy-handed, and it's gone in waves. Um, going back to 2003, it was so heavy-handed that a lot of people who came down to that action said they would never go to a protest in London again. It was purely about harassment. People were followed for hours. Um, lots of violent stop and searches, a lot of violent arrests. And, and it's kind of calmed down from there. Um, so we're not quite back where we were in terms of policing, but it's still up there. I think 
they were under orders to protect the arms trade at any cost. I think there's been a lot of negative publicity for the Met over how they've handled the Extinction Rebellion protests, a lot of political pressure. So I don't think they wanted to see those sorts of scenes whereby people were allowed to block the road. Now, I've said for a long time, and I think I've said it in articles and I've said it in tweets, what happened at the rebellion was allowed to happen by the police. It was absolutely great they took those spaces. It, it was beautiful to see, but that was allowed. And what we see at Dicey and what we see at other places is what happens when the police decide your protest is not allowed and it's not something they're going to sanction. And I think that's really important to remember. And I think that's something that everyone involved in Extinction Rebellion needs to remember. Because while it's great that they're holding these spaces and it's great to see so many people out on the streets, what's happening and when it's being allowed to happen isn't the decision of the protesters, it's the decision of the police. And we have to adapt our tactics to make sure that we can still be effective when the police want to be heavy-handed. It's not good enough just being effective when the police allow us to do things. And I think bigger neat questions need to be asked about those other protests that are allowed to happen. I was there with a friend who'd been part of those and she'd come away, I, I, I don't want to put words into her mouth, but, you know, quite visibly stunned by seeing the response of the police to a much, much smaller protest in response to those other ones she'd seen going on in central London. And though there, it, it, there's a big question to look at there. Why why are some protests allowed and the guardians there trotting along behind them and everything's documented? And yet others which are going right to the heart of, you know, death, destruction and the biggest corporate values, you know, on the planet, those aren't. Did I? Oh. <laughs> basically, that is basically it. If you're occupying dead space in Parliament when Parliament's not sitting, yes, you can do it. If you're actually trying to stop something from happening and that and what you're trying to stop from happening is all about corporate profit and money and you're stopping those financial interests, then the police will come down on harder than you. I think it's as basic as that. I think it is as basic as that. I think also with Extinction Rebellion, I would say, just my opinion on this, there are elements of the fact that obviously this kind of notion of controlled opposition almost by them suits the government agenda because they can turn around and say, oh, yes, well, we've listened to you and here's here's what we've done on climate change. And it gives the notion that, well, OK, yes, we do listen to protests and there are effects, so you can go away now and we, we are listening to you. Um, and it gives the notion that the government will listen if you, if you kick up a stink about things which really um in in the grand scheme of what the government is doing is still kind of irrelevant anyway whereas as you quite rightly point out there's there's corporate interests at play here and this is a far bigger bigger issue than a slight change in government policy as you said in the introduction emily it goes to the heart of everything that's wrong with us as a species and us as a planet um and i, and I think the sort of controlled opposition of extinction rebellion they were quite happy for that to happen a sort of a, a, it was a jolly nice day out for a lot of people um and um it gave the government excuse to say well we do listen look we've just done this so um yeah if you want to grab yourself some refreshments do so now because me emily and freya will be back in a couple of seconds with some more talk about the arms fair 
very but very good analysis from you both excellent absolutely fascinating I mean obviously um, I do want to talk about the fact that you had direct experience of the um, police heavy hand this, this year because you were both of course arrested um, which again it's been all over social media um, and um, a lot, lot of respect for what you guys did I mean briefly what was that all about it was involving some sort of um, some sort of craft on a river wasn't it I think um, you were you were having a jolly nice time in a boat or something wasn't it wasn't it that sounds very extinction rebellion actually but carry on anyway what happened what happened we went for a little jaunt in a boat along the river that's all we went to say hello to some nice warships uh, a small group of us took one inflatable kayak and we managed to breach the entire dicey security system well whatever protections are in place somehow and i'm still not quite sure how in that little kayak managed to paddle right across and pretty much right, well, no, actually right up to the warships. Um, and I probably shouldn't say what the other goal, but yeah, so we, we, we got right up there. And given that there was meant to be um, literally displayed by BAE systems at the time, I'd say we did pretty well in that little boat, actually, because that military display didn't go ahead. So if you think of the might and the wrath and the money behind BAE, that's what you can do with determination, a brilliant group of people and one tiny kayak. And I just hope that it's things like that that make a lot of people think, actually, you don't need to be organised and told what to do for a demonstration. You don't need to book a week off work and be at Oxford Circus at this time because the Guardian will be there. You need to just get out there and do it because small things can have big impact and big effect. Yet we didn't stop the death and destruction, but I think we made a damn good point. Emily, anything to add? Um, well, we were also involved in um, we a group of us, me and Freya and another friend, locked ourselves together in front of um, the eastern entrance to the arms fair on the Saturday um, as part of the Plan C rise up from the Java call and. Um, we stopped the trucks going into that entrance for quite a while before the police came and arrested us all. <laughs> um, so that was the other action that we were involved in during the week. Um, I'd actually like, can I just give a little shout out to Campaign Against the Arms Trade and Stop the Arms Fair for not only doing a huge amount of work organising the week, which was utterly brilliant, but we've been talking about policing and legal ramifications and I really just wanted to drop in. They did an absolutely brilliant job of showing how you can do non-violent direct action without the stupid messages about police being your friends. Every day there were no key rights, um, key messages on your rights were read out. Um, it was very clear there was no police liaison. There was no talking to the cops, um, no comment. All those key messages that legal support groups have been trying to get out for years and have been successful in being getting out for years before Extinction Rebellion were taken on board all those lessons were learnt, and they did a fantastic job of making sure that people were safe in that sense. Um, and also to the welfare teams, who were utterly amazing, going around with water and sweets and making sure people were safe and feeding people. And just, I, I think it was a really nice atmosphere that people felt held in and supported in. And I think I'd just like to give them a massive shout out for doing that, because I think that was really well done. Yeah, I'd echo that. And to prisoner support as well and all the legal observers because from beginning to end, I think whether you were there just to be 
giving your support to what was going on or whether you were there knowing that you were happy to take action that may lead to arrest everyone was safe and everyone was held and it, it was incredible and that didn't come through chats with cops and telling everybody what we were doing and where we were going Yes, quite indeed, um, Freya. <laughs> um, yes, listeners, you may get that inference. Um, no, I completely agree. And um, Campaign Against Arm Trade is absolutely excellent. I'll link to their website in the show notes because not only are they brilliant on the ground, but their website's absolutely excellent as well. And it's so chock-a-block with information about the sort of financial implications, vested interest, et cetera, et cetera. So I'll link to that in the show notes. Uh, I have to give a little shout-out as well, actually, because they always, always impress me. And I always think they're wonderful. And I'm no fan of organised religion, obviously, but I have to give a shout out to the Quakers as well um, because when I was there in 2017 they just blew my mind loved them loved them loved them loved them and I know they came in for a lot of trouble this year as well with the police so shout out to the Quakers as well they're absolutely fantastic as always um, I want to sort of get into a bit more philosophizing really I suppose is the right turn of phrase um, regarding this just because of as Emily summed up in the introduction, the sort of global geopolitical implications on every aspect of life that really events like um, Dicey have. Um, I mean, Frey, it's it's been several decades now. I think it was in the sixties, wasn't it? That Eisenhower, President Eisenhower, gave his speech about the military-industrial complex, as the um, phrase that he coined goes, about the sort of intertwining of government and big business and corporations involved in arms and and the military um i mean i always think don't don't get me wrong i'm no fan of eisenhower wasn't exactly an anarchist um but but it was a very sort of telling telling way of summing up the situation and i i think if he was alive today he'd probably be um maybe not unsurprised but still quite shocked about how how much deeper this has become i mean why do you think in all these decades since he made that speech and what i suppose we would now term as corporatism really that intertwining between big business and big government i mean why why do you think nothing has moved on in all these decades in fact why things have actually got worse but it, with the, the sort of the the interlinking of government and the military industrial complex and and the and the continued rise of this of this most dastardly of phenomenons i suppose for why has it got worse one word profit two words money it's profit money profit money profit money I mean, since 2008, the UK arms industry alone has raked in £44 billion. And that's one country out of many. Take that, magnify it by America, Saudi Arabia, United Arab, Arab Emirates. There is huge profit in death. It's, it's quite simple. And alongside those profits, our countries are lining with each other and making profit from each other. And it, it, it's a constant cycle. And I think if you look at the way that those profits are controlled by certain countries, you know, Israel's right up there. The political alliances between those countries are unshakable between the US, the UK, Saudi Arabia, Israel, you know, they, they go hand in hand. And I think what we've seen since then in terms of the, the global military complex is those alliances strengthening and the, you know, and the profits getting bigger and bigger and bigger. War is, people make war profit from war. There you go. It's it's quite simply, you know, it's that simple. I know it's not that simple, but you know, on on one hand, I, I think that's it. And then also, and particularly if we're looking at our UK government, those those companies are also trickle feeding vast amounts of money into UK MPs and politicians. 
Johnson, for example, in just just this year, um, Anthony Banford, who's chair of JCB, which is actively involved in destroying Palestinian settlements in Israel, has given over a hundred thousand pounds to Johnson, and that's you know that's just one donor for for our our current prime minister. We are one of the things that we're doing at the moment is looking into the amount that's coming from an all parliamentary group to individual MPs and the, the links between the companies that were at Dicey and the money going to MPs. So, they, they, you know, they, there's a shallow corridor and the money is passing along between these. So where there are arms companies, there are politicians and where there are politicians, there are arms companies and that everybody's making a profit from it and millions of people are dying or displaced or maimed or injured. Yeah, I think the example of Bamford is an absolutely brilliant one because, again, we're back to what Emily said at the beginning, not only then, therefore, does it tie into the arms trade, but, of course, and I can say this on the record because I've written it for the Canary, um, um, Josie Bamford, a massive tax avoider, got numerous shell companies operating out of the Bahamas. Um, so there we go. We've got another issue there. Um, never mind the fact that most of their machinery operates on diesel. Um, and we go round and round and round in these circles. And as you say, the money that revolves between these big corporations and government is quite something. I, I did a piece for the Common Space, um, a Scottish news website back in 2016, looking into um, vested interest in the House of Lords. And my own calculations, I worked out that nearly 20% of the House of Lords I'd have shares in arms manufacturers or other defence or military corporations. And I mean, the best example of that is, of course, Lord Hutton, Labour's last defence secretary under Gordon Brown, who left government straight into the House of Lords and then went on to consult for Lockheed Martin. Um, so, and and it is, it's just this constant revolving door that exists across the planet. And no, brilliant, brilliant summing up, Freya, absolutely excellent. Um, I mean, that's another topic in itself that we could actually go into, but we have to be mindful of time. Emily, um, just sort of finish this off. I mean, to be honest, you kind of answered, I may as well throw him a script away, because you kind of answered this question at the start of the show, actually. Why, why is this so important? But, I mean, looking forward to 2021, I mean, what, what is the best course of action that we can do from now until the next Dicey Fair to get the point across that all these issues are interlinked and if people want to throw their energy into something to do direct action about, that it should be be about stop the arms fair what's what's the most crucial thing that we can be doing to get that message across do you think between now and 2021 i i think there's several things i think continually making those links um getting that message out there and really drilling down into that message with some really sort of detailed research on how it it all links up but i also don't think we should wait until 2021. The arms, <laughs> the, the arms trade is happening every day. Um, arms companies have factories, they have offices around the UK where these weapons are being made. We all have the power to go and shut these places down. They operate because of profit. We can eat into that profit. As the saying goes, you hit them where it hurts, it hurts them in the pocket. Go shut those offices down, cause disruption, make sure they can't make that money. And I think that's the biggest thing that, that we can do. When I was sitting in the road on Saturday, I was thinking about all the friends and people I'd interviewed when I was out in Ahmed in Turkey um, earlier in the year. What so many people have said to me, whether it's politicians, 
former prisoners, families of prisoners, activists, they've all spoken about the complicity of the UK government in arming Turkey and the complicity of the UK government in the repression of the Kurdish people and about how we need to make those links. And some of this is just about basic solidarity. We've got people in Yemen, in Kurdistan, in Palestine being killed, maimed, repressed and tortured by weapons that are made in the UK. The people who make those weapons, who are making the money, they go home to their nice safe homes. They don't get to think about the consequences of their actions. We need to be reminding of, their, of those consequences on a daily basis. We need to be in their faces and we need to be shutting it down. It is not good enough. It is in our names if we're not doing something about it and we've all got the power to do something about it. Freya, anything else to add to that? I, I was going to say the same thing. Of, you know, I'm not waiting till 2021. It, you know, yes, and also let's not forget the you know, Dicey is the biggest arms fair. It takes place in London. But meanwhile, there's arms fairs all over the world. You know, it, it, this, this, this trade doesn't stop. They move from one country to another and they take those ex exhibitions everywhere. And meanwhile, the factories are still making every single component they need to make those weapons, some of them legal, some of them illegal. And that never stops. I think that's the key thing to remember. It, it, Dicey may be a focus that we've just, you know, we've just come back from, but it, it's, it's the tip of the iceberg in terms of the industry. Absolutely, and uh, I think I think that's an absolutely brilliant way to finish up because, as you say, this this cog keeps on turning in in the wheel of corporatism, as it were. And um, yeah, it's we need to be doing things all the time surrounding this. And I look forward, although, like you say, we have to carry on. I look forward to twenty twenty one when Nicola's health will be much improved and we'll be able to be at the Excel Centre in East London with you both of us. So I look forward to September twenty twenty one. Absolutely brilliant, brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant work as always, Freya and Emily. That's absolutely fantastic. Really, really important points there and so eloquently summed up. As I said, nothing wrong with your brains today. Um, so go home and have a sleep and I'll dread to think what you're going to be like tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> but absolutely and so much respect for you for doing what you did this year um, as I said I, I wished that me and Nicola could have been there but absolutely fantastic thank you so much for coming on to talk about it I will link to all the articles that you've done in the show notes to this episode but for the minute fellow Canaries thank you so much for coming on the Top Lung Cage podcast thank you bye love my mates Emily and Freya two of the best journalists in this country not least because they give a shit but also because they get stuck in when it really matters I urge you all to check out all the information in the show notes to the Stop the Arms Fair campaigns and also Campaign Against the Arms Trade another excellent organisation but I now want to play you a special piece of spoken word to do with Stop the Arms Fair this is from my very good friend rapper and poet Potent Whisper and this is his rhyming guide to the arms fair this is Potent Whisper rhyming guide to the arms fair check this out the SEI arms fair you likely won't have heard of it or seen it on the news before it's where the biggest companies sell weapons that are used in war to governments and armies from all around the world they travel here to london where the fair is held repressive regimes among the most violent the uk government formally invites them to wind them dine them tell them that they like them anything to sell them weapons anything to bribe them the weapons that we sell here are used in wars globally. This is where war starts, with arms made locally. Black boys of knives are getting sent down for life, but bombs tanks and more ships, we can sell them openly. This is the hypocrisy of the state we live in. Immigrants are bad, but dictators get the bring in. Britain needs business and Britain means business, but we don't have to make a killing just to make a living. 
How can we justify murder with financial reward? As if money made from murder should be something we support. And we do support those companies because we pay them subsidies. Any country profiting from war is truly poor. But the position of a government is that we just produce them. We can't decide how other governments will use them. We're not the bad guys, we just distribute them. But we can decide who we invite to buy and view them. When you sell weapons to repressive regimes, they're not going to use them to decorate trees. Selling them guns doesn't help us make peace. Bullets make blood and give us lesser safe streets. But the arms fair respond. No equipment can be sold here without an export license. We have one of the most stringent export license criteria, and it's all dealt with on a case-by-case -case basis. Of course, because this government values human life. That's why we sell arms to countries who abuse human rights. That's why our weapons are firmly on the checklist. That's why there's murderers and tyrants on our guest lists. Like Saudi Arabia, who are known for breeding terror. The list of all their war crimes is too long to measure. They lead illegal wars, killing civilians in Yemen. They've murdered tens of thousands and they're using British weapons. Israel have paid us hundreds of millions for weapons used for killing Palestinian civilians. And these are all deliberate political decisions, most of which are made because we're betrayed by politicians. These weapons are to die for, and we are sick to death of it. People die in our names and politicians benefit. Business is booming and BAE is getting rich. Get a grip if we support Supply terrorists, we're terrorists. We're all accessories to murder just so companies can get rich. How can we defend this? None of us accept this. Britain doesn't have to make a killing just to make a living. Can we shut the arms fair and dash them off the guest list? Stop the arms fair. And that's it. This very special episode of Top Line Caged is done. I'd like to thank my fantastic guests this week, the incredible Emily Apple and Elfreya Lockley. You can follow them both on Twitter. One is at Emily Apple, the other is at Freya Lockley. As always, find scenes. Thank you to the love of my life, the gorgeous Nicola Jeffrey. Follow her on Twitter. It's at Nicola T. Jeffrey. My man behind the booth, sound engineer Gav Pauls. Follow him on Twitter. It's at Pauls with AZ Radio. And my in-house singer, it's Ray Star Music. Follow her on Twitter. It's at Ray underscore star 113. Thank you to the Canary for uncaging us. I will see you again soon. Uncaged.